How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all on this uh, Wednesday morning and a very important uh, week it is for women's rugby in the world. And uh, because of that, uh, we will have the honour of talking to uh, Sally Horrocks very shortly. And Sally is the World Rugby Director of Women's Rugby. Can't get a much higher position than that in the women's game. And of course, uh, we are just looking at, uh, what, a matter of three three days away. They'll be counting the hours. Uh, All these women are playing in this wonderful tournament. They'll be counting it down. Uh, So, uh, Sally, very shortly. uh, Then we'll have uh, an opportunity to open up the talkback line for you all uh, with uh, a chance to win that Chemist Warehouse voucher. Uh, Also, uh, we'll be talking to Greg Murphy. Greg uh, making a comeback this year to racing at Bathurst. We'll be talking to uh, Greg just after 10 o'clock. We'll look uh, with a panel this morning with Tony Johnson and Ben Castle at the four-quarter finals uh, and the NPC coming up this weekend. And it's been a very important week for golf to uh, look back 30 years ago when New Zealand won the Eisenhower Cup, a four-man amateur team. Uh, That's their anniversary this week, and we'll speak to one of those uh, particular gentlemen, Grant Moorhead, just after 11 o'clock. We'll have a stump smithy around 11.30, talk to Andy Thompson before midday, and then Staff as he leads into his show as well. It's a really, really busy and enthralling Wednesday. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Now, somewhere in a hotel in Auckland, there will be a very excited bunch of young ladies about to embark on the journey of a lifetime, a sporting journey that will influence their careers and how they view themselves in the years to come. They are, of course, the Black Ferns, our Black Ferns. I can tell you from experience, even though it was some 30 years ago, the chance to play in a World Cup at home is something which is very, very special. Very few get to do it in their careers. The Men's World Cup has only been here twice in 35 years. Generations of great players have missed the boat because the boat didn't come into port during their time. To sing their national anthem in front and along with their people. To perform their national and cultural rituals in front of their whanau. That is special. And then, of course, the important bit, to display their skills on the world stage, which is their stage in a quest for glory, and the game's biggest trophy. It sounds flowery and romantic, doesn't it? This is a well-prepared bunch, we are told, trained and upskilled to the minute by the best in the business, the professor and his lab crew. It is a great shame that these ladies can't take this party, this experience nationwide. We know that, we've ex- uh, expressed that, but it's far too late to do anything about it now. There'll be those who will travel north to be part of it, 
all too one, uh, few one suspects, but that, that puts it on the north and the far north to provide the massive volumes of support needed to ensure this home advantage is an asset and not a talked about liability. If you want to watch the lot and can't travel, then Spark Sport as you go with a selection of matches live on free-to-air service. As they say, check your local guides. The Hiranees, the Flulas, the Tuis, the Cox Edges, the Woodmans, their names we all know well. The others we'll know better in a month's time. It could be the best goddamn month of their sporting lives. Us watching or taking the time to get involved might be pretty cool as well. Well, Sally Horrocks is uh, one of the most um, interesting people um, in terms of women's sport that you can possibly get to talk to. She's over 20 years at board level in uh, sport and business, uh, advising people like FIFA, UEFA, the Commonwealth Games, getting involved heavily in their events, specialised greatly in women's sport, netball, Super League, the FA Women's uh, Football Board, negotiating commercial rights, broadcasts and sponsorship, uh, and uh, Sally has, uh, was appointed as World Rugby Director of uh, Women's Rugby back in May. Sally, it's an honour to have you uh, on our show at such a special time for women's rugby. Oh, thanks, Smithy, and good morning to everyone. Thanks for having me. You've got me at the tournament office in, uh, in Auckland, three days in, so I've got a fair bit of jet lag, but I'm really <laughs> delighted to be with you today. It's yeah, amazing, three days to go to Countdown. Yeah, it's come around pretty quickly uh, in the end, Sally. For you, you've uh, been in the role for a relatively short period of time, but as you've uh, watched the, the, it unfold, um, ha- how have you viewed this, this World Cup to this point? Oh, hey, you're right. It's five months for me, five months in post. So, you know, what an amazing start to the job, to the role. It's been incredible. Um, I mean, there's been a huge amount of work, Smitty, because this, this tournament's been put back by, you know, 18 months or so, two years. So in terms of the work, you spoke before about the girls and the teams, you know, the women that, you know, have given up so much of their lives for this. You know, they've had to work so incredibly hard. So since I've come in post, you know, I've just seen, you know, their passion, their determination, and then all those other people, the paid staff, the volunteers that are absolutely determined to get this competition away. So, you know, so I can't wait. It's going to be incredible. You know, this sort of celebration of rugby both on and off the pitch. And, um, you know, get down to Eden Park at the weekend. If you haven't bought your tickets, we're almost sold out. So, you know, it's been an incredible five months for me. Uh, and that in itself is amazing. This will be um, quite clearly in terms of uh, women's rugby, the biggest crowd at a ground uh, that it's ever seen. It's certainly the biggest women's sporting event in New Zealand, by around about 20,000 at this stage with still tickets to sell. So, impressive. Yeah. No, you, you're right. And, you know, and thanks for giving us a push there. You know, we really appreciate it because yeah, we were 17,000, I think, at last World Cup in 2017. We've had 20,000 in the grounds in France a while ago. But, yeah, for us to get, you know, a, a sellout is what we want. We want the sellout, and we're tracking well towards that for Saturday. But but then, and I suppose this is a message that I want to land um, with all of your listeners, you know, get out there week in, week out then for the next three or four weeks because the excitement will build. We'll start this weekend. But you can pretty much see every single match. If you're willing to travel and get on the road, you know, you can, between Northland and Auckland, you can see every game. So, 
you know, it, it will be incredible, but it's not just about this first game. It's about all those matches and it's about watching all the different countries, these 12 amazing teams and all these brilliant women. Sally, um, you've, as I outlined in the introduction, you have uh, so much experience uh, in world sporting events uh, at the highest possible level. Uh, what have you been able to take from your experiences across to this role for this occasion? You know, you're absolutely right. And, and the trick is bringing the learnings across because, you know, whilst this is a different shape ball for me, you know, the, the principles are broadly the same. And the work in soccer in particular, you know, and netball, you know, amazing sport. That, that was my sport originally. But the journey that soccer's been on over the last 10, 15 years has given me some real real pointers. And, and one is profile, which is, I suppose, what we're talking about today. You know, we need, uh, we need people to see girls and women playing the sport. We need them to think that rugby is a sport for them and change perceptions and, and make it fun. So that's something I've taken, you know, from my year's work elsewhere. And, and this event will certainly do that. And then our challenge is to kick it on the other side of the World Cup so that this is week in, week out. It's not just once in every four years. Um, the other point is the importance of the players. These players are incredible. You know, these women are athletes, top, top athletes. So that's where, you know, in terms of inspirational role models, you know, the message that they can give to the kids, to the girls and the boys, they can be incredibly powerful. I mean, we talk about powerful personalities and they're so accessible. They're so brilliant at talking to the kids and they're, they're really humble. These women are really humble. That absolutely is a learning from other sport. And, and then I suppose the final one, and, and maybe this is for, 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 for the businessmen and women in the world, you know, you need a long-term plan and you need investment. You know, sport costs money. So when I look at success in other sports, where we have had most success and impact, we've worked to a, a 10, 15-year plan, takes two or three World Cup cycles to really maximize and realize the full potential. But if you've got that plan and you can track your investment behind it, then success will come and we'll grow the playing base, we'll grow the fan base, we'll grow the revenue. So those are, those are, that would be some of my sort of learnings and advice um, for us now working in rugby. Sally, um, one, of the, one of the issues that we have dealt with in terms of our talkback callers and texts that we get into the show, of course, is uh, why it's only geographically being played in such a small part of New Zealand when previous World Cups have gone the length and breadth of the country. Uh, can you just give a definitive for those people listening as to why? Well, my, my understanding, Smithy, and you know, I have to say it was before my time too, is that that was the, the, the bid and the proposal that came in from New Zealand Rugby, from the bid team. Um, so that was what we responded to. Um, and at the time, you know, the, the proposal was a strong one in terms of stadia, quality, um, provision for, for the girls and women's game. Um, and we, we, we couldn't take it further than that. That was the proposal that was on the table. OK, quite cool. That's, uh, that's good. Incidentally, I, I was uh, reading a little bit about it uh, last night and again this morning. Uh, and just to let uh, people know in this country... Uh, how important it is uh, viewed overseas. All matches in the UK will be uh, shown free to air. All of, all of the matches free to air in the UK, which is quite uh, substantial. Yeah, I know it's incredible. I think it's ITV, the host broadcaster, back in England. But um, 
that's something I think, you know, for everyone, all of our unions and countries to aspire to, because if you can get, I think you mentioned it before with Spark, if you can get that sort of free-to-air coverage and you can get that visibility so people know where to go, know where to watch it, whether they can get to the games in person or not, that makes such a difference because we have to drive interest, drive audience and, you know, and show the general public, you know, what an amazing job these women can do on the pitch with a rugby ball. Uh, Sally, uh, I, I would love to know, um, and, and I'm sure you've, you're checking the numbers out this on a regular basis, just how quickly uh, is women's rugby expanding? I mean, there's 12 uh, teams representing 12 countries in this particular event. They're the qualifying nations, but just how widespread is the game growing? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's, you know, for me, it's, it's one of the most important questions because we have to accelerate the development of, in my opinion, you know, we need to accelerate the development of the game as we, as we come out of this World Cup and then we build through the next decade. So in terms of, um, in terms of what's happened over the, the last few years, the game has taken a step backwards during COVID. Um, as many, many sports have done. Um, and we are obviously a contact sport, which presents more challenges in terms of COVID. Um, so we're tracking back to recover that, but it's the fastest growing part of the game for us world rugby. So if you look at where we're tracking for growth, it's particularly in the girls game, in the recreational community game. And then we need to retain those women and give them a route through on the age grade pathways. And then, you know, if you were to ask me about priorities beyond that in terms of how we accelerate, we then need to really look after those players who are aspiring to play at the top end. So we need to work on that pathway to professionalism because that's the next growth piece of the market. You've got to be able to, to see your track through. So that professional end of the game, and I say that with a small P, you know, we're not talking about payment for all players here. We're talking about raising standards on and off the pitch for those elite athletes that want, you know, to play to their full potential. So we've got growth in the girls and women's sections, and we're trying to fast track that sort of commercial and professional development of the game with those leagues that take us right through to WXV, which is our new annual flagship competition that's going to launch next year. So we're going to be able to see the top 18 unions in the world qualifying through regional comps. And we'll see them year in, year out play. And that's the springboard to the next World Cup. Um, so, so that growth and that plan is really what interests me going forward because we can't, you know, we can't go quiet when we come out the end of November the 12th. We need to push on and push on hard. And it's growing fast. Sally, you make a good point about uh, the physical nature of rugby. And, of course, in the men's game and uh, with the with the the youth of the world looking to play and, and even younger age parents get involved heavily because of the, the fear of injury and, and uh, the dangers that have, uh, have sort of been expressed around the game these days, concussion, etc. Um, for young women, uh, for girls and young women uh, wanting to get involved in the game, etc., uh, how, how do you look to, to sort of get around that issue? Yeah, no, it's a great point. And th thank you for asking because it's a really important point and I'm a parent. You know, I've got four kids. I come from a rugby playing family. I've got three daughters and a son. So I see it from both a boy's and girl's perspective. Um, I mean, in, in terms of the sport itself, we always put player welfare first. And for me in the women's game, it's one of my it's huge priorities. It's probably the most important priority. 
So uh, we have a dedicated women's welfare group. We have what we call our six point plan. And I suppose, you know, this is all it sounds academic, but for me as a parent in plain English, it's really important that I know that World Rugby, you know, has the right laws of the game. It's innovating. It's working on research and science. Um, you know, it's educating. It, it's got dedicated sort of um, uh, tools, research services, so that I know as a parent, as a, as a federation and a governor of the game, we at World Rugby are doing our very, very best. So, you know, in that in that regard, if you just bear with me, I just want to reassure um, those that are watching the World Cup, you know, we are aiming to be the most progressive sport in this area. So we've got head injury detection monitoring going on at the World Cup this, this next few weeks. Your university, University of Otago, are doing an amazing mouth guard study for us on impact so we can really understand it. And then we've got player well-being support as well around our players. So for parents, and particularly those in the girls' and women's game, I would be tremendously reassured by that. And we don't want anyone to miss out on rugby. So uh, in terms of uh, women's sport in general um, around the world, uh, Sally, I, I wonder um, how women's rugby now is starting to stack up in terms of those numbers and what are the biggest challenges? Of, I mean, for instance, you, you know full well that uh, this time next year we're co-hosting the Women's Football World Cup and it's an amazing time for, New Zealand, uh, for women's sport around this country. I promise you on the back of the Cricket World Cup as well. I just wonder the biggest challenges you've got as trying to grow uh, rugby as such against these other sports. Yeah, yeah, no, it, but I mean, this is a great discussion, and I suppose it's why I took this job, because I'm all about choices, choices for girls. Um, and again, just as a parent with three daughters, my three kids play three different sports. One plays netball, one plays soccer, football, and one plays rugby. So you've just named the three sports. They've all had a go at cricket, but they've... Um, uh, which is your sport, isn't it? Um, uh, but they've they've put the bat down. But you know, in in that regard, um, that's what I think we need to provide. We need to provide choices for girls, and and this is in education and in employment too. This is not just about sport. This is you know this is about equality of opportunity for young women. So from my perspective, you know, taking this job on, uh, I love the work I did in netball and football. Um, and you mentioned cricket here in this country in the World Cup, but what I want is more girls to be able to access rugby, and particularly um, with with the the, the fact is, it's a, it's, uh, rugby is a sport for all shapes and sizes. Now, I think that really differentiates it, and I speak really personally there. People have, may have different views, but I look at my kids. You know, some are stronger than others, some are faster than others, some are. Some are bigger, smaller than others, taller, shorter than others. And rugby has something for everyone. Um, it's a smaller sport played in a smaller numbers, number of countries around the world. But that doesn't mean that it can't be a great sport um, and that we shouldn't pay it due attention um, and do our very, very best to grow it. But if we can give that choice, I would be delighted. It's a great concept, uh, this tournament, because I, I love... Uh, the concept of triple headers. I, I really do, Sally, and I think that'll work beautifully for you. Oh, I'm glad because some, you know, it, it's a moot point, though, isn't it? Some people, 
you know, argue, well, does it sort of does it denigrate the game if you've got three one after the other? But I think as a spectacle, you know, for sport and entertainment and for those that are trying to be educated in the game, maybe people who haven't seen enough girls and women's rugby, they get to see the best of the best and they get three three chances and one day it's mm. fantastic. It is a great concept. Okay, uh, Sally, just uh, to, to finish off, um, h- how will you, when this is all said and done, and, and you've travelled around these three venues, you look at the um, what's going on and the results, etc., how will you um, judge the success of this tournament at the end of the day? Will it be profit? Will it be loss? Will it be people? Will it be occasion? How, how will you judge it? Oh, hey, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I suppose you have to, there are so many facets to it, but if you judge it on two levels, if you judge it in terms of, you know, the the amazing rugby that's played and the number of fans that get to see that um, and and the way those, those players feel, you know, ha- have they given of their best? You know, have they achieved all that they wanted to? Have we put on the very best spectacle for them and for all those people that want to come and watch? That that would be, you know, top of the list for me. Um, alongside it, or just behind, probably alongside it, is then the impact that we make beyond. Because you know, if we are an amazing event and we happen once every four years and then we all go home on November the 12th, then we've not, we, World Rugby, and I would say New Zealand Rugby would say the same, Claire Beard and her team, you know, who's doing a great job, you know, they then need, we then need to work with each other to kick the sport on and, as you say, you know, grow the number of girls that have access to the game, you know, who are inspired by these amazing athletes. So I think I think it's twofold. It's at, at, at this moment in time, the game's at a really young stage, early stage of its development. It's about investment, not profit. But that will come. Hey, let's let's put a great showcase on on the pitch, and let's make sure that those girls are inspired to play and they know where to play afterwards. That's what it's about for me. And let's have some fun. Are you are you absolutely neutral, Sally, or would you like to see perhaps England win this? <laughs> In my professional role, I am entirely neutral. Uh, and I truly am, because I can't wait to see, you know, Fijiana. It's the first time they're coming to this mm. tournament. You know, that, that for me, in, in itself, is tremendous, you know, to get, to get these women who, uh, who've made such tremendous sacrifices, actually. Some of the, the stories of those Fijiana women are incredible. So in that sense, you know, uh, those are the stories and the sort of the... Um, the highlights that I'm looking forward to. But yes, I mean, I am, I am an English woman and support my country in a highly personal regard, but professionally, no, entirely <laughs> neutral. Oh, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> hey, Sally, look, congratulations what you've, uh, for what you've been able to achieve uh, in, uh, in your various roles across women's sport in particular, but um, you're amazing. And um, well, thank I, you. I also thank you. I wish you all the best, uh, and I wish World Rugby, Women's Rugby, all the very best uh, for what is an amazing showcase coming up in the next month. May you get great weather. Great crowds, great conditions, and great rugby. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Smithy. It's been great talking to you. Cheers, uh, Sally, and thank you again for your time. It is 9.25 here on uh, SENZ. We'll be back shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
Yes, it is. Uh, and on the back of uh, what you've just heard from uh, Sally Horrocks, maybe you'd like to give us a call on 0800 150 How are you going to view this uh, Women's World Cup uh, over the next month? Starts on uh, Saturday, of course, going through to November the 12th, the grand final back at Eden Park. So uh, how are you going to view it? Are you going to view it? Um, are you going to go to it? We'd love to hear uh, from uh, any people who um, <coughs> are interested in, in the Rugby Women's World Cup, of course. Um, so that's... Uh, uh, the other thing I'm hearing, I, I don't know the details too much about it, but uh, Penrith's bad behaviour. Uh, I, I must read a bit more about it, but someone might like to uh, ring me and enlighten me about Penrith's bad behaviour because there's all sorts of comments going into the, the brekkie show. Um, Luai is an absolute flog. I can't stand the uh, carries on like he thinks he's the man, as Tyson Fury would say. He's a dosser. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's all sorts of comments coming in. Um, so obviously, uh, um, Ricardo, I'm, I'm not up with the play there. They must have been behaving like trained seals at some point. Yeah, I know that I saw uh, the uh, James Fisher-Harris leading a chant of uh, we all hate para with the fans when they were lifting the trophy and having drinks afterwards. Oh, and okay. and uh, so there was a bit of that. I think Jerome Lewis said a few other things also during the game, and something that didn't get picked up uh, during the game uh, by um, I was going to say by VAR. I've been watching too much football, Smithy. Uh, but uh, was that he uh, deliberately looked to deliberately stand on Isaiah Papali'i's arm or hand after he'd made a tackle as well? And uh, there's a few people were getting stuck into uh, Jerome Lewis for that. That's what they're talking about him being a grub as well. He's been lots of that flying around. Okay, right. Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, hopefully you'll uh, have... Uh, give us a call, 0800 150 You've got the opportunity to win the Chemist Warehouse voucher, of course, for 50 bucks. In the meantime, uh, let's uh, pop across for a slightly late news bulletin here with Aroha. 1476am in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Well, it's pretty cold around the country. Uh, good chance to listen to the radio and uh, get on the phone if you like at 0800 150 811. I'm not quite sure how, what the temperature is in Dunedin, but Neville, you can tell us. What's it like down there? It's cold, but it's fine. Um, We've got a little bit of snow I can see on the hilltop there, but um, the, sec- the second wave is coming. <laughs> and I think there's <laughs> more snow. <laughs> I, um, yeah, the Women's World Cup's exciting, but sadly I'm not never going to, you know, buy Spark. I've got Sky and that'll do me. So I'll be watching what I can on free to wear on three, I guess. It's just a shame, isn't it, the way the sport broadcasting's been broken up. You're probably a bit disappointed being a Sky man. Well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm disappointed that Sky hasn't got it because I, I know full well um, that it's going to have not as wide a reach around the country as uh, Spark have got it. So, in, in that respect. Yeah. Um, you know, don't give themselves the, the best possibility. Not only have they not taken the games around the place, they've made it very hard for uh, for people yeah. in uh, a lot of areas to actually watch it, apart from, as you say, the free-to-air variety, uh, which won't be yeah, one of them. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's a shame because there's still a lot of, uh, you know, rugby is, is still in this country 
quite a big sport in rural areas. Rural areas um, yeah. are huge, and of course, rural areas struggle um, to get hold of Spark. So that doesn't help, Neville. Yeah. But um, look, and I, unfortunately, I won't have an, an opportunity to be up in Auckland or Whangarei in the next month. I've got uh, another tournament coming yeah. up that I have to be involved in. But in all honesty, yeah. um, I, I wish the, I wish them all the best. I tell you, I, and you know, I, I, I just hope it goes well for them. Well, I'm sure it'll go well, the tournament, but um, and even the cricket too, that's getting broken up, but I mean, you can't do much about it. Hey, look, I just wanted to say a brief word um, about what's happening on that golf scene with Liv. Um, Adam Scott is a man who's, well, he, he's a real good example of what we should be like. He, he said... Um, he believes, he says, live golf's not evil. He says that they've got to stop, you know, fighting. And, um, you know, he's just saying they've just got a common sense has to prevail. He says, I'm a bit less emotive and I can be a voice of reason for one side or the other. And um, that's really what they've got to do. And, of course, McElroy, who's been one of the worst for mouthing off and, and really... You know, alienating himself with his fellow professionals, he's now saying that they've got to sit down and talk. And it's it's a bit late because Greg ran out of steam. He made so many efforts to communicate with um, Monaghan and never even acknowledged them. And now Monaghan and Greg said, "No, we're not going to sit down now." Uh, and then what does Monaghan do? He comes out a few days later or a day or two later and says, oh, we're not going to sit down and talk with Liv. Well, that's the problem. Monaghan doesn't seem to be able to think rationally. He, he, I just can't understand what's going on. Um, but ne- it's ne- just a while. Neville, can I, ask you this, can I ask you this question? Is there room for both in the world of golf? Cool. Of course there is. I mean, look at cricket. They've got one-day cricket. They've got 2020 cricket. And my view, I, I don't like the format of um, live, nothing against it, but that could have been like 2020. Um, you know, that, that it could have been, originally it was only eight events, which it is at the moment, and they could have fitted that in at the end of the um PGA season quite easily and it would have been a wonderful extra thing that players uh, could have could have gone to but now what have we got we've got live now oh, I, I just it, it really isn't good um, the way the PGA tour and um, their puppet DP world tour guy have been approaching it and and the DP world tour is now just going to be a feeder for the PGA Tour. Uh, they think that they're on a good wicket, but no, they're just under the wing of the PGA Tour who are dominating. Um, they just seem to want to control golf, and it's not the way it should be. Players should Neville, be able to. You have just on. said you have just said the most important word of the lot. I thank you for your call. The word you said was control. Uh, when you get powerful people, um, they want power, which means they have control, and uh, that is what this. Uh, it's sure money is money is there behind the scenes. Money is deeply there behind the scenes, but uh, at the at the end of the day, it's about control, and it's about uh, Greg Norman wanting to have control because he's uh, obviously got bitterness with uh, some of those tours. 
It's about Monaghan wanting to have control. It's about the powers that be within DP World Golf not wanting to lose control. Uh, control's the big thing. It is, but Neville, you've hit it on the head. Uh, Barry, Barry from Palmerston North. Might be a bit hey, chilly Rippy, there too. Going, the, the, how the how the old uh, wind bowl's going around at the moment, mate? Is there a bit of breeze down there? Oh, it, yeah, yeah, they're going around, and I, I'm predicting they're going to go around a lot faster later on. Hey, just, just <laughs> off, um, do, do, do you know the last time Manor 2 went windless? Just, just, like, just a rough, would you have a clue? No, off the top of my head, I'm sorry, I wouldn't. Staffy would know. Mark no, Staffy no, I, know. I was surprised when I, when I heard it. 1919. Yeah. Really? 1919? Yeah. 103 years ago? Yep. Wow. That's the last time Manor 2 went winless all season. I don't think we won a uh, pre-game, you know, a pre-early match or anything. I, I don't know what they base that on. But, yeah, 1919. Long time ago. Oh, very, yeah, very. Yeah, um, I didn't ring up about that, mind you. Um, and, and I didn't ring up about this, but that question about Phil Nicholson yesterday with his rating, you know, his um, golf ranking, he wouldn't even know. Nah, he wouldn't you know. know I don't I mean? think he even care. I don't think, I think he's probably like past that? caring as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But, and, and, and when the question was, I think golf's been on the agenda for like five days, but the, the, the correct answer wasn't what the, the answer was. So, no, very silly question and we need a, a meeting about it. Yeah, we do. We'll have a meeting about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just there's already we... moves of moves afoot. There are moves afoot. Don't you worry about that, um, Barry. Excellent. Moves well, are afoot. Um, good. Invite me along if you need, you know, um, some input. I'm, I'm happy to help, Swiffy. Well, but, uh, if we ever, f- if we ever thought... This, this man, this, okay, this yeah, man, man kid. Yep. Yeah. Now... The only way that this is what's going to ha- what's got to happen is that everyone who plays cricket's got to change their idea overnight, and it's a it's a dismissal, it's a fair dismissal, and it, and you know it, and do it like that, and don't cry if it happens here. Just don't don't leave the crease until the ball leaves the bowler's hands, and in years to come. It'll be no different to being caught or LBW. This, this bit each way won't work. So you've, you've, you've got to go like one way or the other. And, and the only way you can go is it's a fair dismissal. Don't do it or you'll be um, ran out. And, you know, and, and it should looked on, be no differently looked on rather than caught or LBW or anything else. You, you understand what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. No, no, but that, the, 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 the mindset needs to change for all cricket levels overnight, make it a, you know, because it's, it's the rule. It's, it's, you can do it. So, you know, um, it, it, it just we've got to get used to it. Whether we like it or not, it doesn't matter. But for the, for the, for the good of cricket, just accept it and... Uh, you know, don't leave the crease until the the ball's left the bowler's hand, and it's not a problem. 
Yep, I think it's going to be something that's going to have to be coached into the game, Barry. I think you make a very good point there. Uh, thank you for your call. We've taken on board uh, your request to be part of the review committee as well in terms of Stump Smithy. Uh, I think you're a favourite to join the group. Uh, Zade, uh, g'day Zade, some NPC action this weekend too. Yeah, Auckland versus Harbour. Oof. Wow. And um, I'm pretty sure there might be a few boys coming back for Auckland. I think uh, one Akira Yowani, maybe Angus Tauval, and uh, I mean, sorry, maybe uh, Alex Hodgman, and um, yes, and Patrick Tuipalusu. So there might be a few few stocks back this weekend to meet North Harbour. So um, if uh, if Auckland can play well, um, I think they can beat Harbour um, if they can get it right. Um, with Harry Plummer, he played pretty well last weekend. Um, they had to come back late against Taranaki, but they looked real good in the in the second half. So if they could play how they played in the second half, they can beat North Harbour. But I'm um, going to try and shut down Tavita Lee and uh, Sean Stevenson and Mark Tully and try and not let them get too much ball because if they get um, a lot of ball, it's going to be a bit of a problem for Auckland. But um, I'm pretty sure um, I hope Auckland can do it. And um, But I think Canterbury's going to be all over Northland. Um, I'll be interested to see how Wellington do against Bay against Hawks Bay. It might be a close one. Um, Hawks Bay looked pretty good last weekend against Tasman, um, which was a bit mm. of an upset, knocking out Tasman, not even making the playoffs, and they've been in the last three finals in a row, which is pretty big. And um, I think Waikato should beat the Bop, but you never know. Uh, man, the thing that everyone's going on about the Panthers apparently. Um, Lua Wise being racist, he put some racist tweet or something out. So apparently that's what everyone's going on about. Um, that's what they've been messaging you guys in this morning. Right. So, and apparently they okay. might not let him go to the World Cup now. So that's oh, wow. Okay. That, that's pretty deep. Okay. Hey, Zade. But, uh, um, yeah, I look forward to that game on Friday night, the Battle of the Bridge, um, Chapter 2. Thanks for your call, mate. I uh, hope you enjoy um, the weekend of rugby. And uh, thanks for being patient on the line this morning as well. We've got to fly uh, to some ads. It's 9.46. Uh, when we come back, we've got uh, a couple of texts to talk about as well. Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Right, it's uh, 9.51. And uh, this week, of course, represents another um, round of uh, Champions League footy. Uh, Ricardo, you've had your eye on it. Yeah, been keeping my eye on it, mate. And uh, been uh, some interesting results. I... I thought, you know, VAR gets a lot of stick and you can kind of, this is the, the, the perfect situation in which it encapsulates that. Bayer Leverkusen from Germany playing the Portuguese team Porto today. Leverkusen are attacking. There's a, a, a tackle in the penalty area. They appeal for a penalty. Referee doesn't give it. Porto break, go up the other end and score a goal. That VAR gets involved and says, actually, no, that goal's been ruled out because you should have given a penalty down here to the German team. <laughs> so the German team go, great, they take the penalty and miss it. And um, so maybe some justice there, Smithy, at the end of the day. That is an incredible story. An incredible story. Uh, Porto, is, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Porto are now leading that game 2-0, uh, and Leverkusen have had a man sent off. In the, in the other games, uh, Liverpool, it's, they're calling it the Battle of Britain, Liverpool have just beaten Glasgow Rangers 2-0 at Anfield. Uh, Bayern Munich right. beat Victoria Pleasant earlier 5-0. Marseille beat Sporting 4-1. Uh, and um, two of the other big teams going today. There's still uh, just an injury time, but Inter Milan lead Barca 1-0 in uh, Italy. And Napoli, 6-1 winners over Ajax 
in Holland, and Napoli with $3 outsiders at the TAB. Quite incredible. That's quite an incredible result. Actually, three bucks. I hope you got a bit of that, uh, Ricardo. Yeah, I, I did, some. Matt. I, I managed to chuck a little bit on there. Okay, cool. Well, let's um, hope that we can tip uh, some of our listeners into uh, a multi-success. Uh, we've got one coming up uh, very shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold it. Know when to fold it. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, uh, today we have got the Toronto Toronto Blue Jays to beat uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, that is in Major League Baseball, and that is $1.95. Um, and in football, uh, tomorrow morning, these games will be played uh, as in the next round of the Champions League. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain to beat Benfica at $1.67. I like them, and I like Chelsea at home to beat AC Milan at $1.62. So we multi those three up. That's uh, the Blue Jays into PSG into Chelsea. And that comes to $5.28. I'll take that uh, any day of the week for a lazy little $10. Uh, right, after uh, 10 o'clock, we have uh, Al Murph, Greg Murphy, one of the most, uh, I guess, um, interesting weeks in his life. Uh, and weekend's about to unfold as he comes back to Bathurst. We'll find out what he's exactly up to and how he's feeling going into the big race. Uh, we'll have Tony Johnson and Ben Castle as part of the panel this morning to, to discuss the NPC. So plenty to come in the next hour, uh, as well as uh, talking to Louis Herman Watt and Pip Morris. In the meantime, though, we shall cross to the news desk and catch up with Araha with her update. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Midas Service Session with Greg Murphy. Trust the team at Midas for your next car service. Well, a little bit of uh, a taste of Iron Maiden there with Wasted Years, and it certainly doesn't apply to uh, our next guest because uh, we're talking now to Greg Murphy, of course, and uh, he's done nothing like Wasted Any Years. In fact, he's made the most of uh, the last couple and planning for this weekend, which is about to unfold, of course, because it is Bathurst. We know Murph so well on the station. Uh, we've sort of lived this uh, event with him to this point, uh, Murph, so I think you better keep us updated. Good morning to you. Um, what's on the agenda at the moment? Where are you? What are you up to? What's the plan for today? Hey, Smithy. Um, mate, actually, just uh, at Bathurst, arrived last evening, oh, yesterday afternoon, actually, um, and uh, went up to the, the mountain and had a look around and started to take in the the vibe and the atmosphere, which is already building. And, um, yeah, today we're, we've uh, got a, a bit of... Um, media stuff on uh the traditional Bathurst uh one thousand um 
what is it, uh, uh, oh, truck parade and the parade through through Bathurst Town and then uh, the traditional sort of autograph session in the middle of the town centre and and all those things. We've got to get, go to the track later and, and do a track walk, which um, never one of my favourite things to do. <laughs> but um, now that I'm driving a bloody car again, we've got to go and do that stuff and just start to, to build for, for tomorrow when we get on track tomorrow morning for the first, uh, first practice session. So uh, it's all... It's, uh, uh, already it was all a bit weird mate going back to um doing these things that are, are all part of a, a driver's build-up um i've uh, been a long time since i've done any of that and here i am um, getting ready to do it all again so it's a, it's a bit of a strange feeling to be honest couple of things out of that Murph. first of all none of us uh listening um to you will get the experience of doing a track walk as such uh, what does that entail well, it's pretty. It's actually reasonably self-explanatory. Um, we, we, as a team, um, engineers, um, data engineers, and and uh, the drivers, um, uh, and anyone that really probably can can contribute to, um, you know, uh, talking about the speed of the car on the racetrack and what the car's doing, will uh, wander off around the six point two kilometres of, of of the of Mount Panorama racetrack and and uh, sort of just talk the talk and probably talk a lot of rubbish. Uh, as we as we wander around the circuit and just uh, you know try and um, you know bring up anything that might be of of interest or or, or uh, important um, as we you know before we get onto the track and the cars and the, and do the practice session. So it's, um, yeah, it, there's <laughs> I'm not sure why we do it to be honest. Sometimes um, this is uh, something that uh, it seems to be more traditional and something mm-hmm. that other teams do. So if we're not if you're not doing it, then you're doing something wrong kind of arrangement. But um, um, yeah, it's, it's it's something that happens at most of the racetracks, really, that the, the drivers and the engineers, they go off and do, so we'll just wander around. Anyone, Someone will make some notes, poss- possibly, and, and uh, we'll see if any of it becomes relevant um, during the, the practice sessions. Murph, now that you're back there, you're, you're back part of it, um, how, have, uh, how have you been received? I mean, a, a lot of these guys you would never have driven in races with, some you would have. Uh, some of the the veterans, and I've been most uh, polite here in saying that uh, you would have raced against before, but some you wouldn't have. How, how's how's it gone uh, socially and, and uh, in terms of greetings, etc. Yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't really um, uh, got together with uh, the entire group as such as yet. Um, you know, the, we've sort of been doing our own thing, and you know, um, effectively today really will be the, the first time that sort of everybody who's in the race will be be together. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's drivers and guys that I, I, you know, keep in touch with and have, um, you know, have much uh, stronger relationships with than others. And um, there's plenty plenty in the field that uh, really couldn't give a flying toss about, um, you know, a wild card uh, entry. And, and as far as I'm concerned, it's just another car that's in the way uh, on the racetrack. So, um, you know... Uh, Sports people and a lot of sports people, race car drivers included, you know, are so focused on what they're what they're doing themselves that um, you know um, any noise that's made outside what they're doing is uh, is literally just that, just noise. But um, you know, it's good to to have a laugh with uh, um, some of the guys that I'm you know closer with in the in the field, and and you know, there's um, you know a lot of drivers in there that I've got a lot of a lot of time and respect for and enjoy the company of, but. Um, you know, everyone's got a job to do effectively, and uh, you know that everyone is very focused. Um, you know, there's a, all the main game drivers and, and co-drivers. You know, there's a lot of pressure and expectation um, on them, so you know they're, they're pretty focused on, on what they're doing. Um, so, unfortunately, yeah, not a lot of time for uh, 
for socialising um, this week. Uh, you know, the serious heads come on pretty pretty soon, and and everyone's um, gets gets to work. Holden, farewells uh, um, Bathurst this weekend. Uh, what does that mean for the teams that are currently invo- um, involved in running Holdens? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, it, it, it is significant in that respect. And and I, I think um, a little bit of that has probably fallen by the wayside and sort of disappeared. You know, the, the official announcement for Holden, you know, re- leaving the sport is, is sort of a... a a thing of the past, and and it's been accepted and moved on. I mean, I think the fans will will be will be uh, really thinking about that, and I think there's you know sublimely too that there's the teams that are running the cars, and um, specifically those that have had a really strong attachment to the Holden brand over the years. You know, there'll be, there'll definitely be um, I think a uh, a strong feeling about about this being last for a Holden bodied bodied car, um, and I, I sort of feel that for me it's actually. You know, quite poignant that it's um, that it's happening, and I'm actually driving again. It's, it's a, a little, it's an add-on for sure for me to to be part of this for the last time that um, Holden Body Car is on the racetrack. So, yeah, I think uh, it, I don't know if there's going to be too much focus on it or not, but there, there's definitely a strong relevance um, to a lot of people, and and you know, everyone's uh, will have um, you know everyone on the mountain this week will have long strong memories regardless if you're a Ford Holden yeah. a Ford or a Holden supporter um and uh, so I I'm, I'm hoping something actually is planned or mentioned about it because it it does deserve deserve that recognition for sure but um yeah it's it's uh it's it's great to be here and, and actually have that as also something that um that is is happening this weekend uh, they've won 35 out of 54 that they've been involved in. Um, that's a, a much higher ratio. That's a hell of a ratio when you, you think about dominance in sport. Uh, that, that's a terrific legacy to leave behind. Oh, massive, mate, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I lived and drove and was part of supercars through a, um, an incredibly powerful time um, where there was such such you know strong feelings and, and battles between you know the Blue Oval and the and the Holden Line and and um, you know those those things are going to stand forever. Those memories will stand forever. And, and, and in many cases, you know the that, that that sort of period that I was involved in the sport when it was so strong. You know those were those were the heydays of of the competition and the red versus blue and and um, you know the the. It's just it's what put supercars, you know, on the map. What what made supercars so strong, and and you know created so many fans and so many memories um, in motorsport in Australasia was was because of the the, the contribution and the commitment that um, Ford and, and Holden had with the sport. I mean, uh, the large car market, the Falcon, the Commodore, you know, dominated sales um, in New Zealand and Australia for for a very long period of time. And um, you know, the, it's just, yeah, it's amazing to have been a part of it. So, you know, there's there's um, a lot of a lot of people will be uh, pretty sad this weekend to to see the end of it. So, um, yeah, the, the Commodore has been hugely successful, and and you know, really probably um, put on the map when it when it was released by um, by Peter Brock. You know, um, he was the man that uh, I think mean, championed the the brand for so long, but also you know that particular model of car. Um, there's been a comment uh, from Will Davison uh, calling for teams to be allowed to put full-time drivers together in, in, in cars. What, what do you make of that? 
Yeah, um, I, you know, I think it's been thought about over the years. That there was there was a fair bit of conjecture back when it, it was um, uh, taken away. Um, I think I think it was two thousand and nine was the last year that the that the main drivers could drive together from memory. Um, and so it's it's been since that day it's been you know you've been forced into having a um, a co-driver that's not full time in the championship, um, and I I think it works. I, I'm I'm an advocate for as it stands. Um, I think we've adjusted and it's, it's something that happens that that works and and um, so be it. I think it it would it would take away the, the you know the, the the amount of competition um, personally that um, that happens in in this race. Um, because you would have less cars, you know, really competing at the front. Yes, uh, two main drivers driving together, um, you know, creates a, an excitement around uh, the speed and the battles with with uh, the cars, but I just don't think it makes the field as com- uh, competitive as what uh, as what it is at the moment. So I, I don't personally, I don't. It's not something I've thought about for a long time, and um, and I I don't think it should change. I think uh, with with um, got into a space where it, it's working and it's working well, and and um, I don't see a need for it. So I was I was a little bit uh, uh, surprised to see his, that comment come out because um, I don't think anyone's really talked about it for for quite a while. But um, you know he's he's very much entitled to to his opinion on that one, and and um, but I, I don't I don't see it changing. You're driving, of course, uh, co-driving with Richie Stanaway. Um, have you had? An opportunity uh, to uh, talk tactics, uh, strategies. <laughs> yeah, we've we've talked a lot. We've um, we've spent a lot of time together over the last um, few months, and and we had our final uh, test uh, only last week, actually, um, at Winton, and and um, it's a bloody long drive uh, from Melbourne up to up to Winton Racetrack and back again. So, yeah, a lot of time to talk about things. I mean, it, I think the. The strategy side of things sort of comes into you've got you've obviously got uh, ideas and, and and plans um that exist through through you know knowing what um probably the ideal strategy is and and based on you know on history um and how it should happen and being that he's the, the main driver he will be doing the you know the majority of of the driving and the idea of a co-driver which is neat is to you know, support that, and and in some cases, you know, um, do quite a lot less. The minimum amount of laps you've got to do as a co-driver is 54, so you've got to complete 54 laps before uh, to to um, obviously cover off the rules. Um, so how that happens, there's there's a multitude way, multitude of ways to be able to do that, um, but there is a um, you know uh, a structure and a strategy to that that seems to be the optimum. So um, which involves me starting the race, which I'm not very keen on. But um, it's, uh, yeah, we we do have to play that out because also the weather plays a part, and the weather this weekend is is looking pretty average. So all our planning and plans around practice and all that kind of stuff could very much be thrown out the window tomorrow morning um, if the weather forecast is, is true to its word. I don't know. I don't know if you're allowed to uh, have tips now that you're driving. But uh, would you say it's uh, Shane Van Gisbergen's <laughs> to lose? Is it his to lose? Do you think? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think probably that's the case because because of this, this race is is just such a uh, a challenge. It's such an endurance effort 
with so many factors that you do not have control over more than any other race, you know. Um, so many pit stops, you know, there's going to be seven pit stops um, and maybe more depending on what happens with weather and stuff. So it, it's such a long day. Other people's issues and problems can be, can be, can be become part of your day as well. Safety cars, all this stuff. I mean, he's an absolute, uh, him and Gus are absolute favourites in my book. Um, Shane has just been so fast. But, um, you know, last year he was probably the favourite last year, him and Garth Tander, and then Chaz Most and Lee Holdsworth rolled up and were unbeatable and, and, and had an, an amazing day at the mountain, which, which uh, gave him a win. And Shane actually, um, I was watching it last night on TV, got a, you know, had a tyre issue very late in the piece and, and ended up finishing nowhere. So, um, you know, these things are just uh, are so difficult to manage and, and you never you never think you're going to win it. You never think you're going to win it. All the years I won it, you know, it's like there's so much stuff that can go wrong here. How the hell can we possibly be the ones that are chosen at the end of a thousand kilometres to, to cross the line first? So, you know, you go into this with open eyes and you don't go into it thinking that you're going to win. You go into it <clears throat> just hoping that um, that you don't have any problems. And if you don't have any problems and you've got a fast car, well, you are going to be somewhere close to the front of the finish. So I'm sure that's the way Shane's thinking about it. Um, he's definitely... You know, had just this most incredible year um, after his result at the rally, rally uh, WRC rally last weekend in New Zealand. He'll be on a high. Um, his confidence level will be huge, and and that makes him incredibly powerful. And um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing what he can do this weekend for sure. Greg Murphy, um, as one of our uh, SENZ brothers, uh, of course, uh, we all at the station wish you all the best. Uh, we've got a lot of texts coming in. Motor racing fans around uh, this part of the world obviously wish you all the best as well. Uh, most of all, Murph, uh, stay safe and enjoy. It's going to be a special occasion for you. Thank you for your time. Thanks, really. Cheers, buddy. Appreciate it. Just uh, talk to you next week after it's all said and done. Thank you, uh, Greg Murphy there, uh, out of Bathurst uh, with all the formalities to go through leading into the big race this weekend. Um, I would imagine there's a few nerves, a few nerves, but uh, been there, done that, got uh, a zillion T-shirts, has Murph. It is uh, 10.19 when we return, Tony Johnson and Ben Castle on the upcoming quarterfinals in the Bunnings NPC. It is 10.25 and the panel this morning is a special one, slightly different. Uh, we're going to focus in on one sport and one event, which of course is uh, the NPC, Bunnings NPC, which has caught a final stage this weekend with four intriguing clashes. Uh, and uh, to help us uh, work our way through them will be um, legendary Sky Sport commentator and media personality extraordinaire Tony Johnson. Uh, and Ben Castle, of course, who uh, is a former Bay of Plenty player, is involved uh, with rugby on a number of levels. So both well-qualified, well-versed, uh, as well, uh, Ben uh, is um, also, of course, uh, commentating, I would imagine. He might have one of these games. Uh, so uh, first of all, TJ, I can talk to you. Very good morning to you. Um, I look at these quarterfinals and I see each of these teams are playing each other for the second time. Uh, does that mean they've got the format right or wrong? Yeah, morning, Smithy. It is a bit of a, to, to me, a bit of an anomaly. Um, I think the new format, I haven't heard a lot of criticism of it. I, I know um, there were critics of the old format with the Premiership and the Championship. I thought it was OK, but, uh, you know, the promotion relegation. But this one seems to have uh, gone through largely. There, I think there'll be a bit of a surprise to find that when you get to the quarterfinal stage, you will be replaying a team that you've already played against, not a crossover. I'm not quite sure what the reasons for that are. Uh, they'll, they'll, I'm sure they'll have a reason for it. Uh, and so the crossover doesn't come till semi-finals time. 
Oh, I would imagine, uh, Ben Castle, one of the things they tried to guard against was um, all four semi-finalists coming out of uh, the same the same group, uh, so to speak. I, I, I guess they, they tried to achieve that, but it does seem uh, a wee bit odd. But overall, to this point, Ben, a success? Oh, haven't got Ben there. He's speechless, Smithy. He's speechless. I have quite often have that effect on people, Tony, as you well know. Um, <laughs> right. Shall we, shall we start with you then? Uh, shall we start with you, TJ, um, whilst we try might and... I have to. Uh, yes, uh, there are uh, not too many other options at this point, mate. North Harbour, Auckland, I imagine, uh, because it's about uh, eight kilometres from your house, uh, I would imagine you're calling this one Friday night? No, I'm actually going down to Christchurch uh, this weekend, Smithy. I, I'd, I'd um, be tempted to go along and watch it. Actually, I, to me, this is uh, this is one of. I, I think we've got you know four mouthwatering quarterfinals, all for different reasons. But obviously, uh, you bring in that sort of battle of the bridge element. They played in the first game of the season. I think North Harbour have come through and been a shining light in this competition. To me, they've got the best back three in in the business uh, at MPC level. We've got Sean Stevenson who. At this level, is uh, almost you know uncontrollable. You've got Tavita Lee, Mark Tillier, two excellent wingers. Lee's just come back and shooting the lights out since coming back from overseas. He's obviously loving being back playing in um, uh, in, in the NPC. So that makes them a really dangerous team. I'm hearing that they haven't put the teams out. I, I suppose one of the things that we'll be looking at this weekend is uh, you know what All Blacks you know are they going to deign to release for these important provincial matches and I'm hearing uh, just uh, unofficially that um, a couple of All Blacks will be allowed to play for uh, Auckland uh, Patrick Tuipolotu I, I imagine very much needs some game time and Akira Ioane uh, I'm not hearing Roger Tuivasa-Shek at this stage but that that um, will all come out in the fullness of time so they'll have They've looked to, to bolster up their forward pack, and they'll need to too because I, I think Harbour are a very dangerous team, and, and Auckland have been inconsistent. And this is uh, on the back of uh, Auckland winning way back on the sixth of August, uh, thirty-six, uh, twenty-six, in the first edition of the Battle of the Bridge. So, uh, Ben, uh, Ben Castle, we've got you. Hopefully, yes. No, I'm here, Smithy. Good morning. Good on you, man. Uh, oh, we were just talking about uh, the format right now with. Uh, each one of these uh, sides in the quarterfinal having played each other um, already in the in the NPC uh, competition, would you have a definitive as to why um, they're doubling up again instead of crossing over? Well, no. I thought it went to a straight league table and I thought that would have been the natural way to look at it in one plays eight and we go to a, um, a league, but the the powers that be um, have come up with this concept and, and maybe it actually adds a little bit more spice to it. I mean, we get a double up with Bayer Plenty and uh, Waikato again, but um, I was surprised though, TJ, that you thought the most, we've got the top eight in there and no, no beloved Tasman. Well, yeah, that's a pretty cheap shot coming quite early with uh, Ben. I was sort of thinking <laughs> you might hold back on that till towards the end of it. And look, and, and not, not just them, I think Otago um, are a, a province that I would have expected to see in the top eight. Tasman just haven't had a great run They're under new coaching staff. I, I mean, all of the teams have had injuries, but they have had a bit of a, a, a catalogue, um, you know, not making excuses. They just haven't been consistent enough. And I think the consistent teams are the ones who have been rewarded. And I think, you know, you look at Wellington, the way they've come through the pack, 
and and that's yeah. the key to it. But yeah, I'm with you. It's 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 a it's a bit of a strange way of going about it. But I mean, as I say, they'll have their reasons. They will have yeah. their reasons. Um, we will um, talk about the remaining three matches uh, when we come back from this news break, fellas. If you can stay with us, that would be mighty fine. It is uh, ten thirty-one, and here is. Uh, lovely Aroha with the news. Talk big opinions, the panel. TJ, Tony Johnson with us this morning, as is uh, Ben Castle, as we uh, look at uh, the quarterfinals coming up this weekend in the NPC beginning Friday night. Uh, we've covered uh, North Harbour, Auckland, but hard to pick that one. I'm with Tony, I think uh, Harbour at home might be a very tough proposition. Uh, 2.05 Saturday afternoon. Uh, Wellington having taken the shield off uh, Hawke's Bay uh, don't have to defend it this time round but they do have to uh, defend their home patch Ben Castle how do you see this one going? Oh I've been very impressed with uh, Wellington I mean they're now going into this um, seven from nine the last seven games they've been outstanding so they've got all the momentum and and you could have maybe picked that counties may have been a bit of a banana skin for them they may have gone up knowing that they were uh, more or less secured and Probably, probably put in one of those Wellington performances we've seen in the past, but they just uh, demolished them, really. And I think they're, the way they're going about their work at the moment, their forward pack especially, they're, um, they've got a really engaged squad. You can see that because they're mixing up their selections. Going up against Hawke's Bay again, I, I think uh, Wellington will be too strong. Hawke's Bay on the road, I think, will be a... They'll be up for it, there's no question. I think it'll be a big battle up front um, the, between these two teams. There'll be a bit of bit of feeling around that Rampoli Shield uh, going south uh, a couple of weeks back away from Hawke's Bay. So I, I am picking Wellington for that one. I think they've just got a bit more a bit more firepower and a bit more at home and a bit more left in the tank right now. It'll be interesting. Uh, you mentioned, Tony, all-black availability. I would imagine Falao uh, Fokitava will be uh, back uh, available for Hawke's Bay, as he was last weekend, but came off the bench. Uh, Dane Coles might get an outing um, for, from uh, a Wellington point of view, but won't be greatly affected, I think, by those returns. So probably for Wellington Hawks Bay is what we've seen is what we'll get. Yeah, I, I just say yeah, the way Wellington have come through the pack, I, I, they've had a tremendous season. What they have got is a, they have got. I know it's a cliche, but they've got a great mix of, of experience and exciting young talent. And I mean you. You know, guy like having a guy like Dominic Bird uh, in the middle of your pack. You know, you've got the likes of Julian Savia in, in your back line, uh, Garden Bashit, players like that. You know, they've been around. Um, and then you've got the young guys coming through, like Riley Higgins. Uh, Peter Luckey, I think, had a tremendous season. Just what mm. the explosive power that he gives them off the back of the scrum. Um, and so they they have to start as favourites, being at home. But you know, what a perfect opportunity for Hawks Bay to avenge their shield loss. To me, um, you know, they have done pretty well. Uh, a lot of teams, after losing the Shield, they might have fallen away, but they've gutsed it out. They, they got a, a very valuable win last week. They had to, to work hard for it, and that's got them in uh, to, to the top four. And so they'll, they'll just think that this is an all or nothing. Uh, just a little warning for Wellington. Uh, be very careful about where you give away penalties, because Hawks Bay, their line-out drive is outstanding. Even though they haven't got Ash um, Dixon there on the tow bar, uh, they've got uh, you know a couple of very good hookers there. One of whom I would expect to see on the uh, the end of year New Zealand 15 tour. Thompson, uh, he's been excellent. But um, yeah, to, to me, I think Wellington have to start as favourites. But just be wary of of, of the wounded Hawkeyes. I, I totally, uh, I totally agree. Uh, 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 
Uh, I think they've still got their very best performance, although they defended very, very well against Tasman last week at times. I think they've still got their best performance uh, this year in front of them, Hawks Bay. Might see it, might have to see it. Uh, TJ, as you said, you're uh, off to Christchurch at the weekend, which means you will be on duty for uh, Canterbury, uh, who will be very warm favourites to to beat one of the, the really good stories of this NPC, Northland. Yeah, it's a great story, Northland. Um, you know, you think you, you lose a player of the ability of Scott Gregory and um, what he brings out of your back line. But in the end, it's turned out to be a pretty good swap, hasn't it? I mean, Morby has uh, just added another dimension. He's a really, he's a quality player. What I like about Northland, they've got some gnarly old veterans. You know, you can chuck them into the mix, uh, Wright and Ranger and guys like that. They, they've always, it's always been a bit of a hallmark of uh, Northland rugby. They play with an you know, devil-made-care sort of attitude. Um, they'll they'll give the ball some air. I just think Canterbury, though, they're just so efficient. It doesn't matter who they've got on part. Uh, they're very powerful. The set piece is very strong. Uh, you know, Northland will have to try and do something to disrupt that. Uh, and, you know, just the, the, the being at the business end so many times, doesn't matter who's wearing what jersey. Uh, you'd have to go um, with Canterbury. Um, they'd have to start as favourites, but I, I just think Northland, they can afford to just go down there and give it everything. Yeah, I think they will, Tony. I, I really do think they will. Uh, uh, they will, and of course, for for them, Ben, um, this is uh, the last uh, year for George Cornier, who's uh, done pretty well with him. He's heading back to Hawke's Bay, I believe. Uh, but uh, it is a tough mountain. Uh, anyone that goes to Christchurch uh, knows they've got to be better than their best at times. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that actually plays into um, the opposition who travels to Christchurch in their heads. As much as they will say, and we've heard uh, Matt Moulds and we've heard others say that they're going to throw everything at Canterbury and they're just another team, it's still that lingering, uh, I wouldn't say doubt, but there's a lingering feeling that this is going to be, you know, we are, you're right, Smith, they're going to have to be at our best, if not better, than we've done all season. But there is, they, they do have that belief, and we've seen that through the, the campaign of Northland. Like they, the expectations of them are sometimes not as high across the country, but they believe a lot in themselves. And I think Marty Veal, his return back, he's put a lot of steel into that Ford pack. And even though they've had a couple of injuries, they've managed to hold on to the right guys at the right time. And they've, you know, there's a performance against Wellington here uh, at Porodua Park where they just dismantled Wellington through defence and through belief and through a, a bit of steel, like you mentioned, TJ, some of that experience and a little bit of youth. So... They will throw everything at it, but the Canterbury machine under Marty Burke, I think, has just pulled the group together really well um, down there. I think they'll be, they will be, they'll be too efficient, they'll be too accurate, uh, too strong, and the likes of you, that loose forward trio down there. Well, you can name all of them. I mean, they've got so, so much depth, so it'll be too, too big a mountain, I think, for Northland this time. Yeah, uh, I'm with you both on on that one. I do believe, but a good story nonetheless. Uh, Waikato. Uh, Bop, Bay of Plenty, the Bay, as they now uh, deserve to be called. Uh, ben Castle, uh, you were there la- last weekend. Um, one hell of a comeback by Waikato, just by the by. Bay of Plenty will be smarting from that because they, uh, at one point they would be thinking they'll be playing this game um, at uh, in, in Tauranga, and they're not. They have to travel back over the Kaimais to get this job done. How do you see this one? Yeah, well, this, that that match it was a fascinating match at the end there. I think they plenty just ran out of out of gas. They were at the end of their storm week, and some of their substitutions came on, and they just didn't have quite the desperation, desire, and power that the 
that the Waikato pack brought on. So uh, this is going to be a, a really good battle. Bay of Plenty, talking to Mike Delaney after that match, he said, we don't actually mind travelling. Um, as much as you can say that, it would be nice to be at home. He said, you know, we're, we've had a good look at them. We get a good rest now. Um, we've just got to get the ball in the hands of Caleb Trask. Uh, he's playing out some outstanding rugby at 10. Uh, Imoni Narawa will be back uh, in the backfield, so that'll help them. And I think their forward pack at the moment just has an edge. They can keep them on a bit longer. They made some substitutions a bit early, and the uh, Waikato pack started to get stuck into them. Uh, but in saying that, Waikato at home, um, the cowbell's going. Anton Leonard-Brown potentially a return, probably from the bench, if anything. So it's, it, it'll be a great battle of the Kaimos, there's no question. But I will put Bayer Plenty as a winner of that. Trask has been brilliant. Uh, he was sensational last week um, and has been throughout the season. Uh, and has, has the, as has the return at times of uh, Damien McKenzie as well. So the tens will be the key to this, TJ. Uh, and also, uh, with a view to uh, the team you mentioned before, the uh, All Black 15, a couple of genuine candidates there? Oh, most certainly. Uh, and you think of a, a guy like, you know, Balin Sullivan, what a great year he's had. Um, you know, that, that's one name that just sort of leaps out of it. Um, you know, um, Manaki Selby Ricketts, a guy I've, I've always thought had the potential to be an all-black lock. It hasn't quite been realised yet, but, you know, these are the occasions where, you know, you need guys like that to stand up. I mean, if they if they come up with that second-row combination, he and Sangster, I, I really like that. Um, but they look so even, these teams, and they've got sort of similar talents and similar positions, which makes it all the more intriguing. Um, Bay of Plenty, obviously, the, the key to them is that they've got to come back from the setback of, of blowing a winning lead um, or, or allowing a winning lead to slip. So I know that word blowing gets used a bit too often, but they've got to come back from the setback of that. And, and regardless of what they say, having to be the ones you know travelling on the bus there has to be, a, you know, just a little bit of a psychological uh, factor in there. But I, I, to me, this just—it's—it's um, a, it's a little bit like the Friday night game, Smithy. Uh, It's—it's it, it's quite hard to pick a winner. And I, the only thing I'd say is that from the word go, Waikato looked like a team to me that were hell bent on, you know, let's just not make this a flash in the pan. Let's let's you know do a good job of you know being defending champions here. And you know they've been they've been good all season. Uh, I'm I'm going to actually go against uh, my old mate Ben on this one, and I'm I'm, I'm actually I think Waikato at home might just be a bit strong. But as I say, I think this is uh, this is the hardest game of the lot to pick. This is an unpredictability unpredictability factor about the North Harbour Auckland game, which makes that fascinating. But to me, this is the match of the whole round. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Um, good calling this weekend. Um, I'm lucky enough to be heading to the Hawke's Bay game, so I've got a vested interest in that. But uh, I shall see you around the traps uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, thank you very much, uh, TJ, and to Ben Castle uh, as well for being part of our panel this morning. We shall have uh, another one tomorrow morning. Travel safely, guys, and thank you. Thanks very much, buddy. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, text in from Jamie. It would be good to have as many ABs as possible playing in the NPC this weekend as they don't start the end of year tour until the end of this month. Uh, Jamie, uh, we have heard um, from Grant that the All Blacks have not released Coles, Jane Coles for the Lions, which is not a good thing, particularly after they've lost uh, O'Reilly, James O'Reilly, 
uh, last weekend. Uh, a couple of texts have uh, come in along the lines of the fact that um, the women, fr uh, the woman from the rugby uh, from the rugby World Cup, and that's a Sally Horrocks who we talked to just after nine o'clock, delightful lady, uh, said that the the venues for games uh, was New Zealand's pitch to get the tournament in 2018. I thought we were told COVID had something to do with it. COVID wasn't around in 2018 when they won the rights to run the tournament. Um, and uh, John backs that up by saying, listening regards to the World Cup. The bid from New Zealand was put in, I presume, before COVID came along. Then NZ Rugby had no intention of taking it around the country. It is poor form from New Zealand Rugby. Interesting, uh, I picked up on that as well, guys. Um, and uh, we've got uh, another text in from Carl uh, along the lines of the TAB have boosted odds for the Chelsea v AC Milan uh, game that b both teams will score paying four bucks. Can you ask Ricardo his thoughts? I can, I have. Yeah, I think I think that's a great bet. I think uh, you know Chelsea haven't exactly been a uh, hasn't exactly been a fortress this season. Um, they've been conceding goals. Uh, I think they've conceded just about every time they've played this season. And AC Milan, good going forward, not so great at the back. So I think Chelsea could probably edge this, but it, I think there'll be both teams will score. It'll be like a, a two one, a three one, something along those lines. Okay, that's uh, the word from Ricardo Carl. So uh, take it or leave it as you like. Uh, we shall uh, take a short break very shortly, and when we return, we'll be with Louis Herman Watt and Pip Morris. In Aotearoa, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Okay, uh, Louis Herman Watt is uh, with us uh, from, of course, um, our radio station, SENZ, and we always look uh, on behalf of uh, Thoroughbred Racing New Zealand at uh, racing possibilities for the day. And, of course, uh, Louis, there are races at Ruakaka today, which is absolutely outstanding. Um, and uh, they usually have uh, a lot of fun and atmosphere up there where the surf meets the turf. You got anything with us? There's a real short one in the first, I see. Yeah, no, a really short one in the first, Louis. Um Cody Cole's team's gone up there, and it looks like they're ready to go bang. So they've obviously just been biding his time. And La Verte, I'm pretty sure she is. She is. She's a five-year-old mare, so they have taken their time with her to make sure she's good to go. But she's won a trial of late that was very impressive, and she goes up there in great form. Um, obviously not race form, but she seems to be galloping strong, so they think she's just going to be too good for them. Um, in race two, it's a really interesting race because Cody Cole's also got another horse, a filly out of, uh, by Sacred Falls out of Miss Bling, who has been specced in the market 450 to 320 Um Now, she is well, had a bit of a spruik on her and there were rumours going around about what sort of prices that people were willing to pay for her and she didn't really perform on debut to be honest. She was a bit of a flop at Tarapa. Um She has been back to the trials I see and she did perform really well there. Um, it was at Te Awamutu and she was yeah, far too good for them at that trial date. So look, I, I suspect with like a lot of these people this time of year they probably want better tracks. So the fact that she's going up Ruakaka, which is a soft five, might be a bit of a forgive, but it's a really good field to be honest. Uh, Flamebird wasn't bad on debut. Poured the wine has looked progressive for Peter and Dawn Williams. Gibraltar Rising ran against really good two-year-olds uh, last season. And then in race number six, it was one I quite liked, but it's actually on a bit of a drift, which is making me a little bit nervous. Um, Malt's time. Opie Boston jumps on for the Clotworthies. 
And I look, I know that barrier nine's a sticky gate, especially at Rua Kaika, where I imagine it'll be on pace today with the rail out 12 metres and then 10 metres to the post. I understand that that's not necessarily where you want to be drawing, but Malt Time's got that really good form around it from last season with the Can I Get an Amen's, uh, Johnny Johnny at Ellerslie. So it's run really good races at our premier tracks. This rating 75 field should theoretically be well within its capabilities. Um, I know that Fresh Up Blood Warriors got really good stats and they had taken a liking to um, uh, another one in the market, uh, Stringline, which is eights and sixes. But yeah, I thought Malt Time was an all right bet. And maybe at 350, just getting better value. But be warned, there is a 50 cent drift on the, on the um, pricing here. Thank you very much, uh, Louis Herman Watt. We better pop across to Pip Morris very quickly uh, out of the TAB with uh, Greyhounds coming from Palmerston North today, Pip. Good afternoon to you, Smithy. It certainly is. I think Kara Mole, she's got a couple in. I think she's got a really good chance. And I don't mind mum's in the last. Mark Rogonowski has actually made uh, him his best, which is sort of class. I think he's knocking on the door. And he's at $5 currently. Rua Parker on today. We've got power plays available on all races with six runners or more. And just quickly on the Sports side of things, Smithy, on the Major League Basketball, $900 on the meet to Washington game. Total runs over six at $1.85. And $1.6 K on North Harbour, the match result at 220 And another 3000 on North Harbour at 210 So a couple of punters really liking them to get the job done. And also 3.2 on Wellington to get the match result at 145 in those MPC quarterfinals. So uh, looking forward to the action. Plenty get involved on tab.co.nz. Go those Panthers. They know how to celebrate. <laughs> oh, they do, Smitty. Uh, a little bit too much, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Pip. Thank you very much. Um, it is uh, coming up to 11 o'clock. A really interesting interview coming up after 11 with Grant Moorhead. Uh, of course, uh, an Eisenhower Trophy winner 30 years ago yesterday. 30 years ago. Fantastic story, this. Uh, we'll get more on it than some recollections from the man from uh, Taranaki very shortly. But uh, in the meantime, we'll have an 11 o'clock update from Aroha. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.03 here on SENZ and uh, 30 years ago this week, in fact yesterday, at the Capilano Golf and Country Club in Vancouver, Canada, um, one of the greatest achievements in New Zealand golf um, took place, uh, really, and it was uh, in the Eisenhower Trophy. The uh, Eisenhower was first played for in 1958, so uh, 34 years into it. Uh, New Zealand won it and won it since, so uh, just makes it so much more special for those that were involved team of four went on that occasion, Michael Campbell, Phil Tatarangi, Stephen Scarhill, and the man on the line from uh, Taranaki talking to us now, Grant Moorhead. Uh, Grant, good morning to you. Great honour to talk to you. Uh, 30 years ago, does it seem like that? Morning, Smitty. Just uh, got a bit of a bad line at the moment, Grant. I don't know if you're uh, travelling or um, somewhere under, uh, maybe under a tree or something in the in the clubhouse. Or yeah, um, can you hear me now? You, yeah, we got we got you now. That's that's a lot better, mate. Sorry. So that yeah, great recollection awesome. for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mate, that, fantastic. Uh, how good are your memories of that time? Yeah, 
Um, I'd say they're, they're a little bit cloudy, possibly. But uh, we were saying the other day when we had a team Zoom, you know, that some of the memories, perhaps, uh, the, the pictures and videos that you've seen. Um, but you remember different things about it. Uh, and it was certainly the culmination of a of quite a um, amazing few years, really, with the wider group that we had. And it was, for three of us, the the pinnacle of our amateur achievements uh, before turning professional. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was just quite staggering. I mean, at the time, the first time we won it, we still have not done it since. Um, we've uh, we got, went close on another occasion, but, um, you know, you, you four will always remain the four at the moment. Uh, good to hear, and you had, you say you had a team Zoom, so you, you do keep in contact of sorts? Yeah, we do. Um, Philip and I keep in contact since we're both here in NZ and we see each other from time to time. Um, Skazi's in Australia has been for a long time so it was good to chat to him on the Zoom and actually he had Lucas Parsons with him, Australian uh, professional golfer who was part of the Australian team at Vancouver so that was quite cool as well and Cambo is obviously in Europe so I haven't seen Cambo for a while so it was great to catch up with him as well and Roger Brand, Benan, of uh, course our manager was there uh, yeah, the manager, of course, Roger Brennan. Um, of course, uh, two years prior to that, uh, you were in the team that finished second equal uh, with Stephen Elka, Michael Long and uh, Brent Patterson, of course. So you had had some experience in it, and that was here in Christchurch. Yeah, and, and of course, that was an um, amazing occasion. The only time New Zealand's ever hosted the Eisenhower Trophy. And we really had a lot of advantages there and felt like, possibly at the end of all that that we should have won it there but we had a poor third day and really kind of lost it on the third day really difficult conditions and the Shirley course in Christchurch as you know very difficult golf course and uh, mm. the difference in Vancouver was we had a another really tough weather day when Scarzi and I were out in the afternoon and had the potential to have the same thing happen but we we both ended up shooting even par that day and kept within two of the American team going into the final round. Well, that American team uh, was um, made up of uh, four players as well, of course, two of which, David Duvall and Justin Leonard, who turned out to be major winners um, in the PGA ranks. Um, but you were trailing them going into the last day, and uh, at one point during that last round, you fell further behind. So how did you rally? Yeah, that's... That's an interesting one in terms of what you mentioned before with the memories because um, it's easy to remember the end result and what happened in the sort of later stages of the front nine and the and the early stages in the back nine because that's where all the action took place as far as we were concerned. But I don't remember too much about the, the, the start of the round. All I, well, I remember myself, I was had had these, you know, motivational talks with, with Alex Mercer, our coach, and I was all pumped and I got on the first hole, I was ready to go and I made bogey, so <laughs> it was a short, sharp shock but uh, I then birdied the second and third and I remember that and then kind of vaguely remember the rest of the front nine and us all sort of getting a rough idea of where we stood uh, going into the back nine, but from the ninth hole to the 
15th hole, we made something like a dozen birdies between the four of us and the Americans didn't make any, which was hard to believe really when you look at the calibre of their team. Um, and it's just one of those things that happen in sport, as you know yourself. Um, it just was kind of meant to be, I suppose. And all of a sudden we wandered up the last few holes and really just had to walk in. It wasn't tight at the end, um, which we all kind of full well expected it would be. Um, yeah, we had it in the bag with a two to three holes to go. Nice way to finish. Um, a, a nice thing to have uh, up your sleeve, sort of like uh, playing in the Ryder Cup in the second last match when you'd won it. Uh, the rest of the guys had already won it, but um, not quite that because you still have to hole out, of course. Uh, your team dynamic must have been an interesting one. You knew it, you all knew each other pretty well from amateur ranks going into it. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we'd all played together a, a lot over the previous few years and Roger Brennand had been our manager right from the junior series teams we played in in Australia and all of us had been part of those uh, successful teams as well and so we'd had a really successful few years. Um, we sort of had it over Australia during that period of time um, which is you know not all that common with New Zealand sport. I'm sure you can relate to it. that with the cricket team in the mid to late 80s which we used to watch so fondly um, but yeah we'd had a lot of good results and a lot of good results in, in 92 and the, the makeup of the team yeah the way it fell I suppose uh, Philip had a lot of good form in the last four or five months probably even three or four months leading up to the selection and he kind of forced his way into the team I suppose and, and the rest of us were, were pretty much set in place with our form over the previous uh, 12 months and um, yeah off we went so we'd, we'd played a lot together we knew each other well we'd all known each other from like I said from junior days but we were still a relatively young team I suppose um, and yeah as much as you can be confident it just just because you go away and play well doesn't mean you're going to win an event like that it's just one of those things when it all comes together and you hope that it's, it's good enough. Grant, uh, how many rounds or how much uh, access did you have to Capilano before you teed off first round? I think we had two practice rounds at each of Marine Drive and Capilano. So we had a, a, a pretty good build-up and um, practice schedule. Marine Drive was really familiar sort of course to us. It was quite a, quite similar to a lot of the Christchurch courses. Um poplar trees and reasonably flat I suppose most of it um, but it was quite similar in feel to New Zealand golf course. Capilano was a bit hillier um, like really giant fir trees on the side. It was quite awkward from a perspective point of view because the trees were really really big so it made everything look small and it was uh, yeah, a bit hard in terms of judgement but um, we had enough enough preparation there. And uh, like I said, the, the grasses and, and all the condition of the course was quite familiar to us, so that was that was an advantage. Right, long way from home, uh, Canada. Um, those days, uh, y your travelling days hadn't really started. But So you're a long way from home, but um, and you're up against the USA, which are the next-door neighbours to Canada, of course. What were the levels of support like that you got? The support was really great. Uh, I guess the Canadians kind of got them behind us. Maybe it's the New Zealand, Australia, Canada, US thing. 
this sort of big brother, little brother thing. And um, so they were really, yeah, really supportive. We had quite a big New Zealand contingent. Quite a few of the um, media were there. Gary Ahern was there. So there was reports coming back. And there was, I think, as Phil said the other night, it was there was a level of expectation, I think, because we'd finished second at Christchurch and we'd all been doing quite well. But um, Roger mentioned that, you know, still wouldn't have said that we were one of the favourites to win, even though we were expected to do do pretty well. Um, but, yeah, the support was, was great. And it, it sort of could gather momentum. And, and the fact that it was us, little country versus big country, or, you know, mm. the, the dominant country in golf, I suppose, was uh, the underdog story. Grant, uh, it was also uh, a launching pad for uh, you all as well in, in some respect um, and for you personally. Uh, later that year, you, you turned pro and uh, as a result of that, um, your life changed markedly. You started to treat the game as a, a professional uh, side of thing. You depended on it for your, your livelihood, etc. Uh, but you've had a hell of a run uh, throughout 24 years um, uh, all around the joint. 24 years PGA Tour of Australasia, four years a Canadian Tour. You went back there. Um, Asia, Corn Ferry, Europe, man, you've you've been everywhere. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of different um, tours and filling in spaces, trying to give yourself a playing schedule. Uh, and I played, yeah, probably pretty uh, not full time, full time probably fifteen years, and then I I played up until I was forty seven, still a reasonable tournament schedule. Um, so yeah, I've played a lot and. I don't know if telling up telling up all the tournaments, but pretty pretty cool cool experiences. I mean, it it can go up up and down a bit when you're playing as a um, professional golfer around the world, but it's it's been great and certainly been you know an interesting life. And the golf side of it, I I still love the game, so that that's a good thing to get to this point and still love it because there's a, there's a few others that kind of you know, throw it away. Um, Michael's playing a bit. If you take the team, Phil probably hasn't played competitively for quite some time, and Stephen probably hasn't played for 12 years, I suppose, 11 or 12 years. So it can go one way or the other when you're a professional golfer, but, yeah, it's been a been an interesting journey and, and you know, a reasonably successful one, I suppose. And now, of course, uh, that continues on in your, your role at Westtown. Yeah, well, I'm quite heavily involved in coaching, and I have been for a number of years, but since the the COVID pandemic came along, golf certainly had a resurgence. Uh, and of the last two and a half years, I've, it's really been the first time I've predominantly coached and not really played very much tournament golf. So it's interesting, and I've got involved with a number of clubs, coaching uh, junior golfers, uh, which has been great. Uh, we are actually heading up to the junior interprovincial. My son's playing for the Taranaki team this week, so that'll be good. There's a few boys there that I coach in the team, and so yeah, it's uh, carrying on the involvement in the game, and uh, it's it's just great to be you know, working with people, helping them out, helping the, them to get enjoyment out of you know what's such a great game. Uh, it's interesting. I was going to ask you about that because uh, the, the, the Moorhead legacy continues with uh, your, uh, your son Jackson, who's 14 years of age. 
just to give people at home uh, an idea about um, the talent of young golfers ar around uh, this country, uh, that team, what, what would their handicaps be? Well, Jackson's on a six point something, um, and he actually played a boy from Canterbury yesterday afternoon. Uh, he went down to him three and two, but the boy he played against was on a one, and he was their, sure. their number two player in the under sixteen. So there's four under nineteens and two under sixteens, and and then the Auckland team. You've got Josh By, who's just played junior president's cup. You've got basically a, a whole group of really, you know, almost quite well-known names in that who are all under 19 and, and probably at least half of them are under 16, which is quite amazing some of the scores these kids are, are shooting these days. But I think we all we always do produce a lot of talent. Um, it's just getting them, if they want to pursue a, a career as an elite golfer, getting the supports around them because that's a difficult thing about being a pro golfer is you know, once you get out there, as you know, with any any sport, if you haven't got the backing, it's 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 quite hard. Uh, you need a lot of financial backing, and you need a quite a bit of guidance to make that switch. It's definitely a, a huge step up. And of course, in recent times, the a lot of the tours outside of the major ones have been devastated with COVID. So it's been tough for a lot of our young professional golfers, or the ones that were really just starting to get established. Um, I mean, it's great seeing you know Foxy playing like he is and um, Lydia playing well again and you know some of our other guys performing well guys and girls performing well so that's an inspiration for everyone and shows that that it can be done a contemporary of yours by the name of uh, Stephen Elk is doing pretty well for himself uh, tempted Grant Moorhead tempted <laughs> yeah well Steve's doing great and you know it's just awesome um, he's really a Mr Golf you know he's He's much like in the mould of, of Bob Charles. It's just, you know, keep going and going and going. And he's lived in the States for a long time. So it certainly makes, you know, access to to attempting the, the American Seniors Tour uh, a little bit more of an option. Um, I don't think I'm interested in getting out there and travelling, especially with our, our kids at the age they are and being away for months on end. Um, but if you had a base there, it'd, it'd be fine. And I thought about playing a bit of senior stuff in Australasia, but unfortunately I turned 50 a month before COVID arrived and, and so all the tournaments basically fell over. So uh, it's possibly something, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next year and um, take it from there. Grant, uh, where do you see um, professional golf at the moment uh, with uh, Greg Norman's Live Golf uh, invading or trying to invade the scene? Um, where do you do you see a compromise? Where, where do you see it finishing this? Yeah, um, I don't think it's a, a bad thing. I mean, it's all the political arguments, I guess, and and you know where the money's coming from and all that. But I think you know the PGA Tour, you know, really have become a bit closed shop. They really haven't grown it out the game outside of the US, um, as opposed to say the Ameri uh, the ladies tour which have got a lot of events around the world um, so hopefully there's some sort of compromise it is a pity that Australia, Asia, Japan maybe didn't get together in the 90s and, and form a strong tour in this part of the world because uh, the Australasian tour, South Africa they all really kind of lost a lot when they went into 
co-sanction agreements and uh, lost their uh, sort of identity a bit and ended up with some big events and a lot of small ones. So it'd be good to see some strength in this part of the world as far as a professional tour goes when you talk about options for Australasian players uh, particularly and players coming out of New Zealand. So yes, it's definitely going to shake things up. There's some incredible sums of money being bandied about but uh, I say to some of the young boys I coach that well, you know, there you go, you might just be in the right place at the right time in a few, a few years' time. The amazing thing for me is I saw a photo of you the other day. Uh, you're still in great nick, mate. You still fit the, the Eisenhower jacket. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just just slightly more snug than it was then. Um, but, yeah, that's just me. You know, I, I try to stay reasonably active. I like getting on the bike and cruising around New Plymouth with all the bike trails and the walkway and all that. So mm. it's uh, pretty good for that, and it's good for rest and relaxation. And, of course, I'm on the golf course still a lot, mostly coaching, but still getting in a few holes. And Jackson's always keen for an, a round or nine holes, you know, wherever, whenever we're near the golf course. Great. And we've got to walk. Um, we can't we're going to cut. <laughs> uh, oh, you got to walk. Okay, uh, that's a bit yeah. foreign to me. Uh, hey, hey, Grant. Uh, you know, when you see, when you, and you only have to Google uh, the Eisenhower winners list and uh, look at the teams and the, and then the players that have have come through, uh, been successful or gone close in this event. Um, T. Woods is uh, one of them. Uh, Sergio Garcia, another one. As I mentioned, uh, Mickelson, Duval, Leonard. Uh, do you pinch yourself at how, how great your achievement was? Uh, do you have to remind yourself of how great it was when you, you consider what's come out of the Eisenhower? Yeah, I think it was an amazing thing. You know, there was the New Zealand golf vision of winning the Eisenhower, and um, we felt like, I mean, the fact it's only been in New Zealand once, it'd be great to see it back here, but, you know, we felt mm. like that was a great opportunity for us, and... Um, in hindsight, you know, you sort of think we probably should have won that, and then you think, oh, is that our opportunity gone? But yeah, there's a lot of great players have been through there. Um, so many great players. I mean, Phil Mickelson was there at Christchurch, um, and some of those players, of course, the American players. If you, I think I made this point in a in the newspaper article the other day that you consider that we played quite a bit of golf in Australia. And it's a great testing ground, Australia. It really is. Their, their golf course was a, a second to none. But a, a large amount of our golf was played here on New Zealand courses, which, you know, at the time, we've got some bigger courses now, uh, you would think it would be hard to match up. And uh, you consider what the American uh, build-up would have been or the European teams, just so much more comprehensive, much higher-level um, competition week in week out and much better resourced so yeah it, it is quite staggering really when you think about it but I think uh, you know we do have a lot of good golfers come out of this country but it's just uh, when you turn professional um, the Mickelsons of this world and Justin Leonard's and the US Amateur Champions you know they certainly have a big leg up when it comes to the professional game but it does stand out as a great you know, a great achievement, um, and it was, and it's not an easy thing to win. As I said, you can go away and you can play well and you can shoot a good score, but it doesn't mean you're going to win. So it was a, a pretty special achievement. 
Grant Moorhead, uh, been um, great catching up with you, uh, reliving uh, some of those memories from uh, 30 years ago. Great to hear that you're still uh, so actively in, uh, involved in golf and passing on your knowledge to the youth, including your son. Good luck for that uh, tournament this week, and hey, hey, thanks very much for your time. It's been fantastic catching up. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks a lot, Smithy. Great talking to you. Cheers. Uh, Grant Moorhead there, uh, one of four the only four that have ever won the Eisenhower Trophy, uh, the greatest prize in amateur golf. And from there, careers are launched and uh, some careers uh, are squashed at the same time um, because of lack of of success. That particular group, and Grant Moorhead's uh, unique in that he's finished second and won it. Uh, Not a lot of golfers have done that. I can can promise you that. Uh, It's 11.25. Great catch up there. Uh, We'll be back uh, very shortly and uh, we'll invite you to play with us. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, if you're listening to uh, our station here on SENZ, and uh, I don't think for one second this kind of person will be, and you have stolen the Jamison belt and the Ted Morgan cup, can you give them back? Can you please give them back? They are rich in tradition, the Jamison belt and Ted Morgan cup in boxing. They've gone missing. So if you, you've stolen them or you know that someone has stolen them and got them, go get them off him or her and, and give the damn things back. Doesn't that make sense? Oh, that's crazy stuff. Uh, what, what good are they to you if you've stolen them? Give them back. Get hold of someone in boxing or anyone and just give the damn things back. And that's uh, on your behalf, uh, Chris. Uh, thank you very much for the text. Uh, I hope I've got the message across. Uh, 11.31 here on SENZ, which means uh, we are asking you to call 0800 150 811 and stump Smithy. Uh, That will be on the other side of this news break with Araha. This is SEN Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, I don't know where our, uh, our, our quiz intro's disappeared, mate. Uh, oh, no, there it is. It's Move Buttons. We'll get there in the end. We'll get there in the end. I'm pulling everything down. Smithy, it's been a nightmare, just quietly. Might nightmare start. <laughs> oh, well, that might turn into a good result. Poor uh, rehearsal, good performance. Uh, so we might just uh, make 50 bucks here. Um, as we play Stump Smithy, of course, you've got $50 uh, worth of TAB uh, bonus bet uh, to play for this morning. And um, on the line, we have who this morning, Ricardo? We've got Ed from Tolaga Bay. G'day, Ed. Morena, morena, Ricardo, morena, Smithy. Morena, my friend. Good morning. What's the weather like in Tolaga Bay? Oh, Smithy, I'm in Auckland, man. Why? Because this is where I work. What do you do? I'm a truck driver on the airport. Oh yeah. What are you? What are you driving? What are you? What are you? What are you track? What are you tracking around? Cargo. Well, we go. We go down and get off whatever that comes off those airplanes. Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay, Ed. Well, why are you Ed from Tolaga Bay then? Because that's where. That's your. Is that your spiritual land? Well, that's where my bones are. That's where everyone's buried. And that's where oh, I Oh, right. Okay. Well, here this whole time, yeah, I thought yeah, you yeah. were like living the 
I thought you were living the good life, going fishing every now and then, getting a bit of white bait. Um, I, I just thought oh. you were, you know, Ed from Tolaga Bay. I'm just, I'm just like everybody else, and then uh, doing the mahi. But um, when I go home, then then it's paradise. Yeah, when it's paradise. Hey, uh, listen. Speaking of which, um, speaking of mahi, you've got a bit of solid mahi to do now uh, because uh, you got to try and win fifty bucks. So. Uh, Ricardo, what are the subjects for Ed? Ed, uh, you can choose from cricket, NFL, or Major League Baseball. What do you want to go? <laughs> NFL. Ooh. NFL. Ooh, he's, he sounds confident too. All right, here we go. Well, I don't know anything about it. I'm sorry, Smithy. <laughs> <laughs> well, $50 could be yours, Ed, if you can nail one of these or, or, or if Smithy misses all of them. So let's see how we go. Here's your first question. Ed, uh, who leads in the passing yardage so far in this NFL season? Which quarterback? Um, Lamar Jackson. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, do you know? Aaron Rodgers. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not a bad guess, Ed, you're still alive. The answer, Justin Herbert from the Chargers with 1,250 yards. Oh, God, oh, yeah. okay. He's going all right, he's oh, going all right. Okay. Fair enough. Okay, Ed, here's your second question. You're still alive. Name the only unbeaten team through four rounds of the NFL. Um, the Bills? One of the worst things I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. No, the Bills lost to the Dolphins a couple of weeks ago, so they're 3-1. and one. There is one team that is 4-0. and oh, Smithy, do you know who it is? Yeah, it is the Dolphins, isn't it? The Miami Dolphins? One of the worst things I have ever no. seen no. done on a cricket field. They lost to the Bengals no, this weekend. Week. Yeah, so the only oh, unbeaten team in the NFL at the moment is the Philadelphia Eagles. They're on 4-0. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. A bit of a smoky, a bit of a smoky. All right, Ed. Frustrating. Uh, you're 0-2, but you're still alive. Uh, final question to win a $50 TAB bonus bet for you, mate. Name the only team to not win a game so far this season. Um, the Jaguars? One of the worst things... I have ever seen. Oh, mate, it's not a bad shout because they were rubbish last year, but they have had a win this year, so not the Jags. Smithy, do you know the answer? Can you no, stump them? Um, I looked at the four conferences, uh, oh, no, more than eight conferences the other day, uh, eight conferences the other day because we were talking to MJ Hurley. Um, I'll, I'll have to have a go here. Oh... No, um, it's not the Rams. It's not. Um, uh, I, I won't be getting it. I won't be getting it. Ed. Don't panic. Don't don't uh, don't panic, there, boy. Um, I will be saying that it is the Jaguars, the Jacksonville Jaguars. No. no One of the worst that. things I have ever seen. Did you say that? On, on that's, a cricket field. that's what I Ed said. No, the uh, Carolina Pan- Carolina Panthers. One of the worst things <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> on, on a oh, no. Unlucky, Smithy. God, uh, the only mighty. team not to win a game Houston so far. Texans. Yes, correct. Oh, God. Third team lucky. The uh, Texans. The Texans actually tied. You don't see ties in NFL very often, but they tied the first game of the season with Indiana and then have lost oh. the, the last three. Yeah, that makes me. Hey, Smitty. That does, thinking of that. Yes, Ed. Smitty. 
Yes, um, Ed. The East Coast are four wins, man. Four wins. We oh, win, no. Marty. Boy, my wallet oh, oh. and my liver are getting hammered. <laughs> 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 oh, Ed, you're a mate. You're a terrific bloke. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to lose to you, but I'm happy you won it. Put it that way, yeah, mate. Hey, uh, hey, look, stay on the line. Hey, yeah. Bitty. Yeah. We get, still get called Tolaga Bay. Do you really? <laughs> Sorry, Smitty, I had to put that out there. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, sounds like you've been damaging hey. your liver this morning, Ed. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, I just, well, I did finish Mahi and a cold one on the way home was really good. I think you might have been getting it at the fact that we lost the Battle of the Bays. Anytime oh. you want to bring your some of your scaly old mates down from Tolaga Bay, we'll look forward to it, Ed. I can promise you that. Have a, hey, we'll have have a, a terrific day. Yeah, we sure will. Uh, Ed, uh, have a great day, mate. Stay on the line, and uh, one of your very close relatives, Brian Rarity, will take all your details <laughs> if he hasn't already got them, and you can you can uh, have a good old a good old chat between you. Uh, have a, a terrific day. Congratulations, Ed from Tolaga Bay, currently doing mahi in Auckland. Well done, mate. Yummy. There you go. There he is, Ed yes. from Tolaga Bay, yeah, well. uh, or as Brian likes to call him, Uncle Ed Smithy. Um, now I've just heard, I've, I've, I've just heard, uh, Smithy. I know that uh, part of what we normally do here on a Wednesday is uh, we talk to Andrew Thompson from the Rural Roundup. But I've just been informed he's too busy for us, so uh, we, we we're not going to catch up. He's too busy for us. Too many things to do too busy. before too a show. Too busy for you and I. I know. Too busy for you and I. I know. Oh, that's interesting, mm. isn't it? Can you believe it? How the how things change in a short space of time. I was begging for us a couple of weeks ago. Indeed. <laughs> Too busy for us. Okay, well, we'll take a break anyway and reassess things, shall we, Ricardo? We'll do that. It's 11.41 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Playing a little musical interlude there because, of course, we should have been talking to uh, Andy Thompson at this time. You can listen to uh, Andy Thompson with the Rural Roundup, of course, after midday, except if you're in uh, Auckland or Wellington where you'll be listening to staff. And we will be talking to staff uh, very shortly as well. Um, uh, two or three texts that have come in. Uh, Craig, hi, Smithy. I was looking at taking your multi today but can't find the Blue Jays game. Or did I get that wrong? Cheers, Craig from the Bay. Uh, Craig, uh, postponed. Game well, I just looked it up. The game was postponed, so uh, they'll be playing a makeup game for that one. They'll probably play a double header at some stage, so uh, keep out for that. So, just the two legs in the multi currently for today. Um, and that uh, is, of course, uh, and uh, they'll be played tomorrow morning too, just by the by. Uh, Paris Saint Germain to beat uh, Benfica at $1.67, and Chelsea to beat AC Milan at $1.62. Um, uh, Steve has come in and said, Hey, Smithy, Grant runs, uh, Grant Moorhead runs junior coaching at a lot of the clubs in Taranaki. My kids love it. He's a great guy to talk to as well. We just found that out, uh, Steve. He is a fantastic bloke and uh, he's having a hell of a time of it. And good of them to, to relive uh, that um, and get together on Zoom. I appreciated that. 
uh, the fact that they all were able to get together on Zoom from all parts of the world uh, to relive uh, that great success. Here's an interesting one from Joe Battler. Uh, morning, Ian. Uh, support the stuff our kids play on Saturday morning if you can recognise the game they are participating in. The other stuff is people going to work quite willing to push the limits of every law to gain an unfair advantage. I had a go at Mark Richardson because he asked the question, are the All Blacks cheats? I replied, strange comment from someone who middles at the third slip and waits for the umpire to give him out. <laughs> I have a saying, if you play team sports, you relinquish all rights to be mediocre. If you want to be mediocre, play golf. You're only letting yourself down. If you lose, uh, you lost to a better team, no shame in that. But today, you are ridiculed. There can only be one winner, otherwise you don't have a competition. Money is the root of all evil and is on full display in international sport. Still a bio fan. And that is uh, Joe Battler. That's interesting. Uh, Ricardo, quite deep for this hour of our show. Yeah, it is. It is. I, you know, and I thought that was, you know, not having a crack at cricket or anything, but that's a fair point to, to Mark Richardson and I think any cricketer. I mean, you know, if you edge one to slip, you wait for the umpire's finger to go up. You're not going to walk, are you? No, absolutely not. Um, even, uh, you know, even some days you can uh, smack it to gully or you can hit it to the outfield and there can be doubt whether the catch carriage. You, you stand around and uh, that just seems to be the norm these days. No one appears to take, uh, you know, when someone goes down to the boundary and dives into the boundary and tries to save the ball, no one takes anyone's word for it anymore. That uh, aspect of it's gone out of the game. What? And what has come in, of course, uh, Ricardo is the man cat. The man cat. Uh, listen, um, there was some uh, really important football played this morning. G- can you give us a, a round-up? Sure, mate. In the Champions League, uh, Bayern Munich have beaten uh, Victoria Pleasant, who are the whipping boys in their group 5-0. Uh, they coasted their 5-0 up with half an hour to go and took half the team off. Uh, the other game in that group saw Inter Milan beat Barcelona 1-0, and Inter, uh, it means that Barcelona are in danger of not making the knockout stages now of the Champions mm. League. Uh, Marseille. Okay. They, they beat Sporting Portugal, uh, Sporting Lisbon, I should say, of Portugal 4-1. Uh, Napoli, we talked about this, 6-1 over Ajax of Amsterdam in Holland. Uh, that was a big big result for, for Napoli. Of course, they did beat Liverpool earlier in the competition as well. And they were paying three bucks this morning, which I thought was great value. Um, so uh, that was an interesting role. Another upset, Club Brugge, the uh, Belgian champions, have beaten Atletico Madrid 2-0 in Belgium. Your Tottenham couldn't get it done in Germany. They probably should, they were favourites to beat on track Frankfurt, but that one ended up in a in a nil all draw. Um, and uh, Liverpool beat Rangers two 0 in the Battle of Britain, and Porto beat Leverkusen two 0 as well. Smithy. Okay, thanks very much for that, Ricardo. There's uh, more fixtures tomorrow morning, which we will give you updates on and final scores as well. Um, but uh, for our show, it's coming to a close, uh, which means um, it's staffy time. And around about uh, five minutes. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.